All right, well, uh, now I want to take a, a quick pivot to this episode's Patreon bonus, last call question. In this case, on the American Civil War. And yeah, that pretty much means it's a Civil War BS session because we've been talking about it for a week and a half. And I feel like if I don't give them a chance to talk about the Civil War at some point, they're going to they're gonna burst. Uh, so the topics. Our favorite piece of Civil War era history. I literally left that as open as humanly possible. Um, and then I'm going to ask my guests to answer uh, the question I answered on the main episode, what they think was the most important battle of the Civil War and why. Listeners, just follow the link in the show notes to get access to this last call exclusive Patreon discussion, as well as all kinds of other great bonus content and what the hell support the show in the process. And I'm loving the fact that like every five seconds, there's like three of us kicking back a yingling at the same time. <laughs> I haven't had one in a while. I, I know, it's going down real smooth. Real smooth. <laughs> refreshing. All right, we are officially in Patreon zone. So what, uh, what are you guys thinking? Where do you want to go first? I don't, I don't care. Who wants to talk? I, I'm not going to sit here. Last time we tried to go chronologically, I fucked up the chronology so bad that I couldn't <laughs> keep track. And then you blamed it on me. Uh, well, that does sound probable. I, I don't remember that part, but it does sound probable. Kelly, what do you, what do you want to talk about? Um, I'll do the history piece, I guess. Yeah. Oh, oh, you want to start? Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, that's I what I meant. Like, what topics? Like, well, do, do we want to do, like, do we want to do both? Like, both you or do you? Let's do the history topic, and then we'll swing back real quick and do the most important battle. Okay. So what are we talking about? Whatever the fuck you want to talk about about the Civil War. Okay. So, as long, um, as, I like the, as, long as it's not the caning of Charles Sumner, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> Uh, I was going to go with Arlington because I think the history is just so ridiculous and awesome because Arlington National Cemetery was essentially um, Robert E. Lee's house. So once the Union soldiers took over his property, they basically made his house like headquarters and then they started burying uh, dead Union soldiers in his, ha in his like backyard. And mainly it was like, uh, well, when he comes back, he can, you know, have to look over the dead that, you know, basically blaming him for the Civil War partially. And it turned into Arlington National Cemetery eventually because we basically took it because after the war ended, Robert E. Lee didn't really want it. And then I believe it was his son that then sued the federal government to get it back. Oh. And then he won, but then didn't want it because it's this giant cemetery. What are you going to do with this giant cemetery? And then he sold it back to the federal government. And now it's... Arlington. So I think it's one of those big like, process of the law. What the fuck? It's one of those big fuck yous in history yeah. that I just I love. Oh, that might be like one of the top fuck yous I never knew about. I mean, I've been to Arlington Cemetery. I actually saw someone buried in Arlington Cemetery. Um, my my grandfather's brother's plane went down. Um, he served, I think, in um, what was it, the Second World War, or was it Korea? I'd have to double check with my grandmother. Uh, but he was lost uh, and missing in action. And uh, mm. they found two old ladies found him in like the, the early 2000s. So mm. I'm actually going to do an episode on it down the road because I think it's a story worth telling before my, before I can't get the information, you know, anymore from a first person source. But that's awesome. Mm. So Arlington Cemetery was Lee's backyard, basically. Pretty much. And yeah. now it's <laughs> the White Crosses and it's like the most famous yeah. cemetery in the country. Yeah, you think about it. We put our, you know, our patriots, our former presidents, our military men in a trader's yard. Yes. So. But I love that to watch over the, sh the shit you brought about. I love that. Yeah. I, I do. Oh, Kelly, was that it? Yep. 
That's awesome. I love it. Luke, what are you thinking? What do you want to talk to us about? Um, Vicksburg. Let's talk about Vicksburg. A great, a great mm-hmm. battle. Not for your most important battle, but just what it was. Oh, well then, no. Let's talk about Shiloh then. <laughs> Surprise. Luke didn't listen to the question and didn't know. <laughs> In my defense, I did say I was confused. And you said I could talk about whatever I wanted. Well, yeah, except for your most important battle part. All right. So oh. Shiloh. Okay. Yes, Shiloh. It's like a comedy routine. So, the Patreon. So, um, so in, in Shiloh, Grant is stuck in kind of a cul-de-sac by the Tennessee River called Pittsburgh Landing. And if, uh, if he, he, he has really no enforcements. He has Buell, which is on the other side of the river, and um, Helen, help me, Sheridan? Yeah, maybe, well, yeah, Sheridan, yeah, or Sherman. I thought Sherman was with him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Sherman was out Sherman west on... before he was moved. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so you have Sherman and, and Buell both on the other side of the river. So Grant is pretty much by himself. Uh, his army's kind of in, in shambles at this point because of, of previous battles. So he has men that are that have no idea what unit they're in or, or the unit that they, that they belong to. They don't know where it is. So they can't really organize. He has Confederates kind of pounding on him, and he – Grant had the um, ability to kind of see see a map and understand it um, completely, just almost like photographic memory is what I is how I would describe it. Um, so he pulls back kind of um, very steadily and uh, retreats kind of constantly, while also maintaining a defensive line against the oncoming Confederates to a point where. Uh, if he knows that he can just hold them off until the next day, Buell and Sherman will relieve his troop. And he ends up succeeding in doing that. And the, very, the next day comes around, Confederates are going to charge, uh, and uh, the Union troops had kind of dug a kind of like a ravine. Hmm. And the Confederates kind of go into this ravine, and the Union troops just massacre them. And it turns out, it turns out to be a Union route. But... Um, if he wasn't able to do that, if he didn't have that sense to keep retreating and knowing when, knowing where to put these defensive lines, uh, his army would have been totally annihilated. And that changes the complexion of Western theater. Is that the battle where Grant took a nap? <laughs> uh, not that I'm aware of. What's the battle? You know what I'm talking about, Cullen? The one no, where- I do not. Oh, Kelly, you know that one, right? I don't recall. Uh-oh. Oh, hold on. It's Better a Google it. Took a nap. <laughs> no, what? Grant took a nap. I'm getting all kinds of neighborhood watch stuff. <laughs> I, um, I don't know. There was something. I don't know what it was, but he was like so tired or drunk or had something wrong with him from the night before that he slept through the, the, the early phase of a battle. Maybe it was. It must not have been Shiloh because I know that's one of Grant's moments. Uh, but I, I can't. I can't was remember he drunk? That. I don't remember now. I just he know the drinker. story. I, Ulysses S. Grant. Well, I mean, this is, I can't search the whole Wikipedia page. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it says here, Grant took a nap and used his shadow as his pillow. It was the Battle of uh, Yazoo River. Yazoo River. Okay, so it wasn't Shiloh. Wow. So there you go. So why is that your favorite Civil War story? Because it demonstrates Grant's military skill? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, and, and it, I mean, I'll talk about Vicksburg a little bit too, but uh, Shiloh, I think Shiloh is, is one of Grant's shining moments. Um, 
like like without Shiloh, you you don't have those successive campaigns that kind of wrapped up the war. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got you. I, I've never really. I mean, I know Shiloh's Shiloh's a big one, but I've I've never. Like I said, I'm not a military history guy. Uh, Locke, what's your? Did you did you bring a Civil Wars uh, th- thing you like to talk about? Well, okay. So I don't know anything like military history. Me neither. And uh, <laughs> and, and and I couldn't cram anything in. I, I mean, I don't want to like. You don't know, go read a Wikipedia uh, a battle, but I don't know. We call it like the battle of uh, industry, the battle of the factories, like the Springfield rifle. Oh, okay. Like okay. the Norse ability to, uh, they're more industrious. They have more factories. They had, you know, more machining, which, you know, was harder to come by in the 1800s. If you don't have it in the Springfield rifles, they were able to produce higher quality rifles oh, yeah. to get out to the front line quicker and a lot of southern soldiers at that point they were fighting with like almost old style like a pirate blunderbuss really like you know yeah yeah. well because they were using what they what they had you know they didn't have the the manpower to you know throw together a a military like that right right yeah and i actually read a thing one time that as the war went on they realized they were able to refit the springfields they'd already made for seven dollars where it would take $20 to build a new one. Oh. So they were able to eat, like do it faster and cheaper by remanufacturing already. So like the, you know, it was a big, big role in them right, winning, yeah. having a higher yeah. level of technology. What was that Eli Whitney's interchangeable parts kind of thing and making it like easier to assemble these rifles and everything. Oh, wow. So it's, it's not just the fact that they had more guns in the North. It's that they had like better guns too. I never really, paid attention to that I, i'm not a military history guy the civil war civil war I, I get why people like it but it almost pisses me off a little bit because like everybody likes because it it's in their backyard in the united states but it's like people like it so much that every kid kelly do you we probably run into this too in your american history classes well my my grandfather said that actually this bottle is shut the fuck up and don't even tell me i don't even want to hear it all right <laughs> colin what's your piece of the story you want to share well, I mentioned uh, Custer the other day, so I guess I should talk on that. Um, with Gettysburg, everybody knows that, you know, day three is uh, Pickett's Charge, where they march uh, a mile across open field. And it's just a foregone conclusion that they're going to get wiped out, right? And, and it's so easy to sit back and say they never had a chance. But if you realize that Jeb Stewart, uh, because he, lo- he was missing for the first two days of the battle, uh, wanted to make it up. Uh, you know, to Lee. And so he was supposed to take a cavalry force out and around Gettysburg. If you go to Gettysburg uh, battlefield, there's a separate battlefield about five, 10 miles out of town. And that's where the real cavalry battle was. When, when Pickett came across for Pickett's charge, what was supposed to happen from the other side was Jeb Stewart was supposed to hit that union line from behind and rip them to pieces. And that would have happened except for a 22 year old, Calvary general called George Armstrong Custer, who led the Michigan Wolverines. That was a Michigan cavalry unit that saved the Union's bacon. And that's what propelled him to fame, not Little Bighorn or being in in a massacre of Indians. (laughs) It was a young, young, fearless cavalry officer. And that's, that's, that's why he was at Appomattox. I mean, he was famous. Not many people got to sit in on this, the, the signing of the surrender. You know, because he, he truly did save the Union. Because without, you know, with Pickett's charge, everybody just assumes it was a one-sided battle. It was not going to be. Had yeah. Jeb Stewart done an end around, he would have ripped through that Union middle from behind. 
And those guys never would have saw it coming. So he's the unsung hero. And that's what I, I didn't even about. know he was there. Kelly, did you? No. I mean, I've never said Custer's Custer's last stand. I didn't know about Custer's first stand. Uh, and Custer, yeah, he's the youngest person, I think, age 22 or 23, to be, become a brigadier general. Wow. Which not many people in their 20s got to be. A, and there again, that's another reason he's Benedict an appomattox. never like, got to be a brigadier general. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the, there's the uh, Custer's. And the Michigan Wolverines. Go over. Ah, we'll go Michigan. <laughs> no, all right. So we've got a battle, a charge, guns, a cemetery, a little bit of, a little bit of everything. For me, though, I had to go with the caning of, uh, of Charles Sumner. I, I, I love this basically because anybody who knows me as a teacher knows that I am uh, a bit of a, a political cartoon addict. And this is one of my favorite cartoons to really get the kids thinking. You know, I was originally thinking I wanted to talk more about Gone with the Wind, but I really didn't know how to do that in the podcast. I mean, I love Gone with the Wind as a teaching tool. I love Gone with the Wind as a film, as a literary piece. Uh, I love it for its flaws. Uh, and I love knowing its flaws and teaching its flaws. But I went ahead and went with the caning of Charles Sumner by Preston Brooks. So the key players in this are Andrew Butler, South Carolina senator, and first cousin of Preston Brooks, who is a South Carolina uh, member, of the House, uh, uh, member of the House of Representatives for the state of South Carolina. And on the other side of this is Charles Sumner, Republican, a Massachusetts, senator from Massachusetts. So basically... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it like this. Without going into all the details of the speech, Charles Sumner was an asshole. Uh, he was being an asshole to a bunch of assholes, but he was being an asshole. He basically accused uh, Andrew Butler of being Don, Don Quixote, uh, you know, fo foolishly chasing this stupid cause. Uh, and even, this is where I, I learned this tonight or this week in my research on this, uh, mocked his ability to speak after he had had a stroke, which is a really fucking oh, dick move. <laughs> yeah. But it's important to note that because what this whole issue really illustrates is how in, internally divided the nation was becoming, that it was even at a personal level, that Northerners and Southerners couldn't stand each other, even where they were supposed to be respecting the, the, the laws and rules and procedures of the nation. So after uh, hearing the disrespect, codes of Southern honor and chivalry prompted Brooks to go and defend the honor of his first cousin. Now, you would think Brooks would walk in and say, hey, apologize or else. But instead, he walked in, basically said to uh, Sumner, hey, you're an asshole. You said shit about my cousin and then beat him over the head with his cane. <laughs> like, didn't even go to <laughs> And Sumner is like me right now. He's under a desk. So he can't even get out. You know, the <laughs> he's stuck there. And uh, Brooks just proceeds to beat the living shit out uh, of um, Charles Sumner uh, to the point where he was unconscious. Kelly, do you remember the exact time? Was it like weeks he was mm. unconscious or something like that? It was quite some time. Totally. I know he couldn't return to Congress for years. Yes, but he recovered he eventually. But yeah, I, I mean, he beat the shit to the point where the cane broke. Pieces of gold were like embedded in his skull, Sumner's uh, skull. And the cane was actually shattered and broken. It was eventually gathered by some people who were there. Um, what is it? The Sergeant of Arms for the Senate had to be called along with others to rip him off. But even the people who were like, stop hitting him were like, ah, he deserved it. You know, like, I'm like, I never really saw that. And I started reading like newspaper articles today and, you know, what other senators said. And it was like, well, he kind of like deserved it, you know, like, but not this. Like, I'm like, holy shit. He, he wow. goes in and like beats the living shit out of him. And it's captured beautifully in a John, Al, John L. Uh, Maggie, I think it is, Maggie cartoon, in which Preston 
Brooks is beating the shit out of, of Charles Sumner to the point where he's like on the floor and he's like, Sumner's like, oh no, poor frail me ducking down. And, and all the senators in the background are watching and, and doing nothing. Some of them are appalled, some of them are not. And they each represent a different person. But the, the art of it is, and I'll post this to the Facebook page, is that whenever Preston's beating Sumner, the artist covered Preston Brooks's face so that you could not see who it was. And mm. you know, he, he was pro-union in the Civil War. He was an, Maggie was a, a, an abolitionist, but probably, or at least, you know, not a fan of the South in any way, shape, or form. And he did this, and I've always, I, I mean, I've never really necessarily read this. I, have, I, guess, I guess I have confirmed it a few times, but I instantaneously always saw that as he covered the face of Brooks to say, look what the South is doing to the North. Look at look what the oh, South shame. is doing. Um, you know, he's dressed in that white suit. You could tell 100% what he represents. He represents the whole of the South. And by not showing his face, it's the idea of slavery attacking the abolitionist movement. And as a result, uh, you know, not only does this perfect representation of the fractured nature of the country and how polarized America was becoming, but it actually increased the prominence of the Republican Party. Uh, it kind of said, look what we are. We are, the, we are standing up for something right, and this is how the South acts. Um, but there, was, there were a couple of funny pieces to it, too. When uh, questioned uh, if he intended to kill Sumner, Brooks actually said, no, if I had intended to do that, I would have used a different weapon. Like, <laughs> uh, but Brooks actually, even though they tried to get him ousted, he continued to serve in the House of Representatives. And then whenever it seemed like there was still more question, he decided to say, I'll run for re-election, and the people can decide. And they elected him again. And eventually, though, he did get ousted around 1856. But actually said that he was in favor of accepting Kansas as a state, even if it meant accepting it as a state with an anti-slavery constitution. So that's a big deal because, you know, bleeding Kansas is the same time as this. And uh, it's often called bleeding Sumner, the two polarizing representations. Uh, Wasn't the- it because of bleeding Kansas? That it it was, it, the debates were spawning out of the chaos in Kansas. Yes. But I mean, they call it bleeding Kansas. They called this event bleeding Sumner. Yeah. Uh, to really play on it. So yes, uh, so that, that was my piece, uh, just because I'm more of a causation guy when it comes to war. And this is one of my favorite pieces. It'll give me a chance to share the, the political cartoon. Any other thoughts, comments, things, questions that were raised by the, uh, the, the things we discussed? I don't like my answer. What, you don't want to talk about Shiloh anymore? No, I don't want to talk about Shiloh anymore. <laughs> well, you already talked about Shiloh. Did you have something else you want to throw out real quick? Uh, suspension of the writ of habeas corpus. I talked about it. Mm. Oh, did you? In the podcast, I, I mean... Oh, well, it's fun. It is fun. Why is that fun for you? Why is suspending habeas corpus fun for you? <laughs> because, because, so Lincoln gets word that the, Mass- that the Maryland General Assembly is going to uh, destroy railroad lines, and Lincoln doesn't like that. So he just goes out and he arrests... Like what, the mayor of Baltimore, the Baltimore City Council, the police chief, the yep. police board throws them all in jail without yep. a word. <laughs> and then, and then he he says, "Fuck," you know. He pulls a Jackson yet again. He pulls an an Andy Jackson and says, "I don't really give a fuck what the Supreme Court says, but at least this time it's not saying that to John Marshall. It's saying that to that asshat Roger Tawney, uh, who is famous for the Dred Scott decision. I'm sure Lincoln had a few fuck yous to say to say Roger Tawney." Um, uh, all right. Uh, sorry you didn't like your answer, but now you got two from Luke. So there you go. Real quick, though, let's run around the room uh, and see who, what's, what do you think was the most important battle of the Civil War? Locke, do you want to go first? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. What, like Gettysburg? I don't know the big ones. That's, but see, those are, that's the glory. Everybody of likes the hits. 
Yeah, but those that, that's what really, I think you, it's hard not to argue the hits here. I mean, Gettysburg, the turning point of the war, uh, you know, for so many reasons, uh, more than I knew, thanks to Cullen now. Uh, Cullen, what do you think was the most important battle? Uh, I was going to go with Vicksburg, but I'll save that for Luke since he, he wants to talk on it. One of the my favorite battles is Chancellorville. Oh, why? Uh, because, well, Chancellorsville, this was right after Fredericksburg, which was uh, the Union took a shellacking on. Um, but my, my buddy who teaches in South Butler, Brad Floof, he, 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 he gives tours, and he took us down there, and he, we got to see the battlefield, and he said, imagine, like, a, a guy's night out with four teenagers in a car, and the safe and sound driver, who is Pete Longstreet, a.k.a. James Longstreet, who is usually cautious Pete, never does any risky things or whatever. He's away at this moment. He's over in Fredericksburg. So left in the car, you have Lee, you have, uh, then you also have uh, Jeb Stewart, who's a cavalry officer who charges every time. And then you have Stonewall Jackson, who's in the back seat and telling everybody, hey, let's get wild. Yeah. All right. And so, and so now they're going to be like teenagers that are going to make some really crazy, dumb choices that, you know, the reason the South lasted as long as it did was they played a defensive ground game. They never took risks. They never went crazy. They always, like, you know, picked their spots for their battles. So this is where the South splits their forces into two groups and sends them in opposite directions so that neither one can help the other group if it gets into trouble. And the Union outnumbered the South two to one in this situation. And so they pull this end-around game that goes and flanks the Union's, uh, I think it's General Hooker, and just hands the North their ass again. Uh, and, and so, you know, it was because Longstreet wasn't there to say, no, no, keep the Army together, uh, the Chancellorville happens. And it's also the, the big thing is where Stonewall Jackson gets shot and later dies. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, they win the victory, but they lose, you know, one of their greatest generals yeah, for the yeah, Southern yeah. cause, Chancellorville. Yeah, and so that was, that was, I thought, a pretty, pretty interesting turn. I, I like it. The battles are, are fun to learn about, but I just don't know them. So, Luke, you're thinking Vicksburg? Uh, yeah, I'm saying Vicksburg. As the most important battle. That, that, yes, that is Grant's masterpiece, I think, is Vicksburg. Okay. Um, they, uh, they go around so so Grant's chasing a, a Confederate army, and uh, what it, it was something like his his troops traveled something like two hundred some miles in I don't know five days. Wow. It's just kind of remarkable. And uh, so they they get to Vicksburg, and he decides you know they're going to besiege it. Um, so they he he digs the trenches uh, all around Vicksburg. He has all of his artillery pointed at Vicksburg unloads artillery from gunboats off the, off the Mississippi River and points it all at Vicksburg so that they're just bombarded night after night for what is something like 50 days nearly. Not only, so not only did he build trenches that are facing Vicksburg, but to protect <laughs> his troops from, from other Confederate armies that could attack him from the rear, builds another set of trenches to protect his back. Two rings. That's kind of like yeah. a Caesar move right there, isn't yeah. it? Like, it is. It was only done twice in history that I know. It was uh, Caesar at Elysia in the Gallic Wars, uh, where you build walls in both directions and you keep your army parked in the middle so you can fight out and in at the same time. It's crazy. <laughs> That's funny. And, and this is still something that, uh, like, Grant's techniques at Vicksburg is still something that they teach at West Point. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. So... So he, he besieges Vicksburg, and uh, they, the, and, and the poor souls that are living there 
you know, eventually they start running out of food, they start running out of water, and and they'll they'll at at towards the end they would just they ate anything that moved, rats, anything that moved that they could eat, they ate. Um, Imagine being at so so it turns out that uh, Pemberton, the the Confederate general in charge, goes goes out to Grant finally at the end, and he says, um, "We'd like to talk about our terms for surrender." And of course, Grant says, "No terms." Unconditional surrender. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I think it was Sherman at this point who was like, you know, you gotta look at this. Be, be logical about this. You can't just take thirty thousand Confederates. Just, what are you going to do with these people? So Grant's like, oh, all right, <laughs> and uh, and the and Pemberton says, okay. He goes, let us go. But we keep all of our property. And Grant goes, all right. He goes, you can keep your guns and you can keep your horses. You don't keep any slaves. Yeah, and eventually the Confederates agree to it, and they they raise the stars and stripes over over Vicksburg, and you, the federal troops then control the Mississippi Valley. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the Mississippi—that's actually a piece. The naval side of it, the um, what's his name? Fa, 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 fa. Oh, come on, the, the Navy guy he takes New Orleans, sails up the Mississippi from Tennessee. Civil, Civil, Civil War. War. Uh-huh. What's the last, what's the initial? You know, the last the Just type the Battle of New Orleans. It'll come right up. Yeah. Or the Siege of New, Capture New Orleans in the Civil War. Luke, are you doing that thing where you look it up? Uh, yep. When that oh. I look it up. Farragut. Farragut. Yeah, Farragut. Yeah, uh, Daniel oh, Farragut. Okay. Yeah, you know, all the naval side of the Mississippi. That's really interesting to me. But Vicksburg's cool. I mean, it's right there. My students are always amazed. It's like, boom, July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. All of that's happening in 1863 in the same moments, Gettysburg, Vicksburg. So with what Locke said, what Luke said, so Kelly, what do you think the most important battle is? Um, I wish I didn't have to go after Colin and Luke. <laughs> I'm not military at all. <laughs> Neither am I. But, you know, I'd have to go with Atlanta just because I think it's the most fun to teach. Yeah. Because Atlanta's oh, badass. I love it. Yeah. It turns yeah. the shit out of Georgia. Yeah. Um, and just completely... <laughs> demoralizes them and i yep. think it's just let's screw you i want to be done with this war let's just get it done and it and, went like yeah. in the election that was my battle you know in the, in the in the um in the uh in the episode you know i said lincoln's election was the most important battle in 1864 against mcclellan and sherman's victory at atlanta was the reason for that uh so awesome awesome any thoughts we want to add before we head back to the real show you had kind of mentioned it zach imagine reading all these union victories the same day in a newspaper. Oh my like, God! Mm, yes, Gettysburg, hey, like July fifth, eighteen fifty-three. Yeah. Fuck you yeah. <laughs> from the north. <laughs> the cartoon you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy how often our politicians used to beat each other with canes. Oh yeah, no, 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 it used yeah. to be more frequent of a thing. I think that if we, if it was still okay, um, I, I read that as a response, one other Republican senator. Uh, challenged Brooks to a duel or, or gouted Brooks into challenging him to a duel. And the challenger uh, or the person challenged gets to choose the weapon and the location. And he says, fine, we're going to Canada with rifles where dueling was actually legal and you could kill him and not get in trouble. And Brooks is like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm out. I'm not doing it. You know, <laughs> shamed him. I agree. I agree, Locke. If, I'm sure that if a few, uh, I think a few politicians could use a whack over the head with a cane if I'm going to be perfect. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.